0: Welcome to Inside the Hive, the inaugural podcast featuring myself, Joe Hagen, and Emily Jane Fox.
1: We got the keys to the kingdom.
0: The keys to the kingdom. I feel like we're on the Enterprise, but Captain Kirk is not here to show us how to press the buttons.
1: Well, we'll show him a theater, right? Yeah,
0: we're going to go to light speed.
1: That's this is like the extent of any of my star knowledge. I've never seen Star Wars or Star Trek.
0: You know, at this point, it's probably too me? late. It's probably too late for you.
1: <laughs> it is. I think I've missed the boat. I have a gigantic gap in my cultural knowledge, and I'm totally fine with it.
0: Well, let's check back in in maybe 30 or 40 more days of quarantine and see if your mind has been changed.
1: Honestly, anything could happen. Yeah.
0: I just looked at the calendar. I wanted to add it up. It's been 46 days since. Um, We've been in lockdown, or at least I have, and that
1: feels both way too short and way too long.
0: It's true; it's warping time in all kinds of mm. uh, interesting ways, and we seem to be, yeah, both the news is flowing fast and hard, and yet uh, we seem to be having Groundhog's Day every day of our lives at the same time.
1: It's true. I think I think the weeks feel really fast. By the time we get to Friday, I'm like, how did that? happen but the days feel like years
0: the days it's like groundhog's day if it had been written by dostoevsky i just feel like i'm in this like
1: (laughs) russian novel
0: that is just never gonna end
1: that's perfect that's perfect can i can i say something controversial i think i every day i have existential dread i have dread about our political situation i have dread about our public health situation I really miss my family greatly. I miss being able to be in the same room with my colleagues. I miss the way that we usually conduct business. We we are in an industry where so much of what we do is face-to-face and getting to meet new people. That's, I think, why we both love doing what we do. But I'm having a really lovely time at home. I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make the best of it. Every night before I go to sleep... My boyfriend and I tell each other what we're grateful for.
0: Oh, that's great. It
1: sounds very cheesy, No, it's but I, I think it makes a difference. Yeah. And they're very small things. They're very small, usually. Um, but I think it helps change your perspective before you go to sleep, and so you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, I have things to be grateful for. Uh, I want to, throughout the day, take note of what I'm grateful for so that at night we're not just searching for random things.
0: You know, not only is that lovely, I think it's very true, you know, um, I look around on social media, the only way I can connect with anybody anymore, and you're seeing everybody's kind of getting in touch with themselves and in their humanity and their eccentricities mm-hmm. as well. You know, we've got Nick Bilton um, baking his sourdough bread, you know, I've been- So much bread. Pl- probably playing more ukulele than I had ever expected to play at this point. And cool. Yeah, that's been happening. I mean, you know, there it is, and time- we have the time and the space, so let's do this.
1: You also, you also shaved your head.
0: You know, I did. I finally kind I'm of looking at it. I now. did that. You know, I put a little Twitter poll on. I said, "Should is this a thing that should happen?" Fifty-five percent said, "Do it."
1: Wow, you really skated on the margin. I sca- <laughs> if I got a poll that suggested a physical change and I got only got fifty-five percent, <laughs> I would be very bold to take that change. Yeah.
0: Well, I was probably. Uh, you know, going in that direction already. So I just needed an excuse, you know, I needed a little it looks encouragement. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah. We're zooming right now. So she can actually see the results of mm-hmm. that. Um, and then you should post, you,
1: you need to post a, a picture for your 55% of those. And, and maybe the 45% will be changing there too. You know,
0: we'll see. Maybe we'll, yeah, we'll have to see the, what the judgment is in percentages later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: you're also doing something else. That's very cool on Instagram?
0: Me. Yes, I, yeah well, so listen, you know, we, everybody has time now to like organize their sock drawer and, and I uh, alphabetized my record collection. Right. And so then I began to think I'm going to just play some of these records for people and live stream them. And this is a kind of thing that if you saw this before the coronavirus pandemic, you'd be like, Mm, I don't have the time for that. Suddenly people have the time, and they're actually uh, watching sure. and listening to me play these records, which I'm grateful uh, to be able to do for them. It's usually something I would have just done alone in my living room with maybe a couple of friends or something. But
1: So quarantine has taken a solitary activity for you and brought it to the masses.
0: I guess that's really true. I guess that's true. And I'm also just looking for an excuse— I'm trying to justify this expansive record collection that I've accumulated over the years, which... um,
1: If you want me to justify anything you've spent money on, I'm your person. I can justify any money expense.
0: Yeah, I like that. Well, I I hope that you... And I keep doing it. In fact, just yesterday, I received um, another record that I ordered off eBay from Japan. And uh, I let it sit... What did you order? Yeah, I let it sit in quarantine for 24 hours, you know? As As you do. As you do, Yeah. Um, it was record? a Count Basie record. Yeah Ooh. I mean going back to the classics, I'm trying to just listen to music that um, is delightful because uh,
1: what delights you now in in quarantine or in self-isolation?
0: Things that delight me. Well, I'm delighted by listening to music and sharing music and then listening to other what other people are listening to and you know, mm. there are some really annoying things, you know, uh, Facebook, demands that you post 10 of your favorite records i i can't imagine there's anybody out there that hasn't come across this it's like one of these it, you know you're gonna have like 10 friends that demand that you post all your favorite records and i don't necessarily want to do that but do you comply you know i have done it in the past but you know you're just sort of spinning your wheels i, I don't know i'm i'm ambivalent about um social media you know there was the one where everybody posts a picture of yourself when you're 20. Did you see this one going yeah. around?
1: did you do that? Uh, I, did. Yeah, I did. It was inescapable. Yeah, it was
0: inescapable. I did it too. It was humiliating, but I did it anyway.
1: I, I'm non-compliant with those things. If I get tagged in those things, I just don't do yeah. it. And that maybe makes me a bad citizen of the internet, but it makes me a saner person, I
0: think. I think it means you have uh, a strength of character. I really do.
1: Well, yeah. I don't have Facebook. So I, I I have Instagram, so I'm really not on a moral high ground. It's the same thing. <laughs> I just... You know, there are some things that people don't need to see for me, and what I'm listening to, a 10-push-up challenge. No one needs that from me. <laughs> can
0: Can you do 10 push-ups? Just
1: unnecessary. I, I'm stronger than I look, Jim. Yeah.
0: Well, I did hear a rumor about you, which is that you once ran a marathon in under three hours. Is this true?
1: I did. I did once do that.
0: that is, I did. That's extraordinary. I
1: run every day. It's my thing. Yeah. It's my thing. Uh, and it's been such a an amazing thing during quarantine to be able to have the hobby and activity that I love the most to, to still be able to do that. And I I wear a mask now when I run, which is a real cardio challenge. Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. But it's nice. I, it's nice. I mean, today, I'm, I'm stuck in Los Angeles right now, and I have been for quite some time. And it is more, I think it's going to be 94 degrees today.
0: Wow! So, now, as somebody who's on the East Coast, still experiencing a sort of spring chill, I am. Um, I'm jealous, and uh, but you know, we're all basically in the same place in a strange way because we're all inside, sure. right? It, That's it's true. so odd. So, um, we're going to pivot now. To the news of the day. Look, look how long we managed to go without talking about the news. It was kind of. um
1: I feel like it's the longest I've managed to go without talking yeah. about the news in a really long time. So yeah. good on us. That felt good, you know. I, I feel real. Look, it's. It, I feel good waking up in the morning. You practice what you're grateful for. Yeah. I'm grateful now for that stretch of time that we just took not talking about the news.
0: Right. Well, we're gonna go into some news, but we're gonna just we're gonna go in gently. Okay. Today, uh, we're going to have an interview, uh, my interview with Chris Matthews, Chris Matthews. I can't wait to hear. Oh my gosh, Chris Matthews. So, you know, uh, a subject of some controversy. So this week, sure. uh, I talked to Chris Matthews. He, of course, anchored MSNBC's Hardball for 20 years until he retired last month, the day before Super Tuesday, which now seems like a lifetime ago, but, uh, w- Wow yeah. uh, I was sort of nervous to bring him uh, on. You know, he he left under uh, a little bit of a cloud of controversy, right? The,
1: but you talk about uh, it in the interview. I do.
0: He, he addresses it. And uh, it wasn't just that controversy. There were others. But, uh, you know, a GQ article came out. A, you know, a guest of his from four years ago, a woman named Laura Bassett, described some sexist comments he made in the makeup room four years ago and that rattled her before she was going to go on air. And it was sort of, you know, one of those semi-lecherous things that, you know, unreconstructed males of certain age uh, say, but you don't expect from a professional TV host. But in this case, he said it and it wasn't the first time. And so, uh, you know, as one of Chris's colleagues told me, uh, he's become generationally off. And this was an example Mm -hmm. of that. And um, yeah, and he had another.
1: What else are you hearing as you I know that you talked to a number of colleagues yeah. people who work in the building and i will say that i'm um an nbc news and msnbc contributor right. so i'm obviously not anywhere near the building right now because no one is but uh there are i'm sure lots of people talking and and lots of people willing to talk to you about what went down last month right
0: well listen he had had a series of gaffes uh i think there was you know three in a row. So it was a little bit of a three strikes thing, but and one of them mm. was when it was the night of the Nevada primary, he compared Bernie Sanders victory to the Nazis taking over France during world war II, And that got him in some right. hot water and he apologized. Um, and, uh, and he addresses that also today, but uh, people at MSNBC tell me, you know, they, he had a lot of allies in the building. A lot of people liked him. They didn't consider him a lecherous guy. Uh, they considered him a pretty benign, you know, happy-go-lucky guy, and they relied on him to be sort of the anchor of on election nights. Um, but you know, the if anybody has been following the news knows that at NBC, NBC has had all kinds of problems. I had Matt Lauer episode. Um, they had the Harvey Weinstein story that Ronan Farrow has said NBC you know squelched the reporting uh, about his offenses and so you know this was a company that uh wanted to project a zero tolerance attitude about this kind of behavior and so he was asked to leave early he wasn't forced off the air he was basically just pressured to retire early he was supposedly going to retire later anyway how old is he you yeah, know that is a good question um and it's information that you would think i would have at my fingertips um i
1: feel like you know like he's he's Generally, in his 70s? Uh,
0: he is 74 years old, thanks to my Google okay. brain. I was able to bring that up very quickly. Love Google. Love Right. Google. So, and whatever else you want to say about Chris Matthews, okay, he's a very talented TV improviser. He has this incredible depth of historical knowledge. He was sort of a pioneer of the way cable news addresses politics, for better or worse. You know, he kind of demystified it and cast it as like a series of, you know, power plays and showed people how it works. And he'd been a speechwriter for Jimmy Carter. He was an aide to Tip O'Neill back in the eighties. And he's kind of one of these great Irish Catholic dinner table talkers. And in that way, he's not unlike Joe Biden another Irish Catholic, uh, you know, who has a feel for the working class and who also puts his foot in his mouth, uh, You know, (laughs) Uh, I was going to say loose
1: lips (laughs) loose. That's right.
0: And so I wanted to find out, uh, you know, what Matthews uh, might have been saying on TV, let's say in the last month as our world has been turned upside, turned upside down about the political fallout. And, uh, you know, uh, as you'll hear um, and as you're about to hear, he was eager to address the elephant in the room right off the top. So uh, let's listen now. Chris Matthews hello, welcome to Inside the Hive. <laughs> Thank you really appreciate you coming on. This is our inaugural episode of our uh, relaunched podcast under new management. that's myself and Emily Jane Fox, and um, I'm happy uh, that you agreed to do this. Thank you.:
2: Well, these are uh, podcasts of the future, I guess. I mean, uh, I did six yeah. of them for MS and uh, called do you say so you want to be president? and actually i love doing them because well you get some time and uh you can think it's, it's uh, the pace you can think at it's pretty good that way
0: that's right yeah well i'm looking forward to doing uh some some thinking on the mic here uh <laughs> starting start, starting with you you know trying to think on the fly anyway
2: that's what i did for 26 years i tell you it's 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 it's, it's some it's a world to live in. You know, I, uh, lately I've discovered something new in my life. It's called sundown. <laughs>
0: Actually, <laughs>
2: I go for these. That's right.
0: You're, you're home at hours that you haven't been home in years. Yeah.
2: 26 years. I've never really, except on a weekday, I haven't been able to see how nice I love the sundown. I mean, it's just a great time of day around seven o'clock and especially this kind of weather is great down here in Maryland. And, uh, you know, I go for these long walks and, uh, I think I've lost about ten or fifteen pounds. I look great compared to what I was, I think. Like, who knows? <laughs> it's all it's
0: all good. Well, so you were uh you retired uh from hardball a month <laughs> and a half ago. I, I, I just calculated it's fifty one days. March
2: second. March second, yeah. I was down in um, I was I was down in uh Charleston. It was a Friday the twenty eighth of February and uh i was going to do the show and i did do the show and i was supposed to stick around for the primary and i was going to go to texas on tuesday to cover the um the uh, the super tuesday out of texas because everybody else was out in california and then uh i heard about this online article that said that reported that four years ago i complimented someone who was sitting in the makeup chair getting ready for the show and i said as i said at hardball when i ended the show that monday night those comments are inappropriate in a workplace and um that's what happened
0: yeah can you you know tell me like what how did it go down how did that happen
2: well pretty much what i just said i mean it it's uh it, uh, i wasn't i didn't argue about it i didn't deny it i, I had vaguely remembered it i guess and i i uh, i accepted the the credibility of the of the complaint and the, and the article i had no, i didn't want to challenge the person who made the complaint or wrote the article i thought it was very credible and certainly within the person's rights to write that article of course that was highly justified and uh you know i uh basically uh you know it's you i i basically as i said to repeat myself in you know it was inappropriate in the workplace to compliment somebody on their appearance and uh this was in the makeup chair and uh i did it what more is there to say <laughs> what more is there to say on this joe i can't think of anything right but you know that was a month and a half ago and so much has changed and uh you know, back then, yeah. uh, the, the Democratic Party was going into the South Carolina. We knew that Biden would do well down there because of his strong support from Jim Clyburn, who's a very influential leader down there and should be. And and all of a sudden, uh, what had been uh, a campaign where Biden looked like he was lost, till he came back so strong in South Carolina that it empowered him through all across the country on Super Tuesday in a way that no one, I, I'd heard that. You know, some of the Biden people had said that was going to happen, that everything would change because of South Carolina. I was highly skeptical because Biden had not done well at all in Iowa or New Hampshire, and certainly not in Nevada, where he came in with a weak uh, 19%, I believe. And so, you know, it was, you know, politics has two great things about it. One, you can study history and get a pretty good look at what's probably going to happen. And the other part of politics, Joe, you know, is it totally phenomenal. I mean, things happen that just, my God, was that going to happen? Nobody was predicting that. And uh, it's like uh, Trump in uh, 16. You know, you know, uh, Michael Moore predicted it, but, you know, Michael Moore has a pretty good insight into the working guy and woman in the Midwest and um, industrial areas. And I think that uh, most people completely missed that one. I think politics is, I, mean, I think this fall is going to be, I'm not going to say it's going to be close. I don't know if it's going to be close. I don't know, because I look at, uh, trump's advantage is in money and he owns the microphone he owns the camera um he has ability to make news and to do things in the last month of the campaign that no challenger can do and uh at the same time i think that uh i think that uh he will be blamed for the economy and that's why he's very yeah. concerned about getting the economy on the upward slope by uh by late summer i guess and uh
0: Chris, you you said something um, interesting when you, uh, you know, before you left in your final um, kind of speech when you were retiring in the evening of March 2nd, which I thought was a really, you know, you said some really candid um, things. And one of the things you said was that the younger generations out there are ready to take the reins. We see them in politics and media fighting for their causes. They're improving the workplace, you said. And I thought that was pretty candid acknowledgement of, what was going on at the time, but also just more generally. And, um, you know, at the time, the issue was, for a hot minute, it looked like Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee. And yeah. on the air, you were, push- you were pushing back on on that, uh, you know, you made w- at least one comment that got you into some hot water. You apologize for that. But you weren't alone in this. You no, had no, James Carville out there warning. No, no,
2: don't talk about that again. But, not, that, 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 you know, when things get distorted, you have to deal with it.
0: Yeah. And I understand. But like, you know, you were out there and James Carville also and other people were sort of pushing against against uh, Bernie Sanders. And, um, you know, is it fair to say that, you know, that you were uh, and MSNBC, I think, broadly, um, you know, was skeptical and, and and critical of Sanders and maybe even pro-Biden, really?
2: You think so? Going into that. Who was pro? Who was pro Biden on the on our? Who was pro Biden on uh, primetime MSNBC?
0: Well, that's what I'm asking. I'm like, I'm asking no, no, whether you. you,
2: you said it. No, I, Joe, you just said that yeah. we were pro Biden. Who was pro Biden?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I'm asking whether you were.
2: Give me one. Give me one. <laughs> you're, you're proposing something. Well, I that mean, I just you see. were.
0: I, there was, uh, you know, there was some talk of like uh, the Bernie's followers being brown shirts and you know this sort of radical thing the revolutionary um kind of uh energy of the
2: and, and well, his I message in all fairness there was there was that that side argument about behavior by certain supporters yeah uh, yeah i don't think the um I, I think i look at things in political terms and also ideological terms and i think that um my concern of well there's a couple concerns i've First of all, history. Let's go back to history. I was there at the Democratic Convention in 1972. And I watched the excitement about uh, George McGovern, who was a good guy, a really good guy. And he was getting the the thrill, the excitement of people down there in Miami Beach, uh, people dancing. I remember John Kenneth Galbraith, the the economist, dancing in a circle. And a guy from Holy Cross, a guy named Kay Monaghan. They were thrilled that they had won the nomination against a a moderate, uh, Ed Muskie. And 49 states later, it was over. It was a disaster. And uh, I think the parties, American parties have been mostly successful when they've been able to grab the middle because the middle sits there. I think there is a sweet spot in American politics. I noticed that in one of uh, Bloomberg's ads, this campaign didn't work, but one of the ads was very effective because it talked about Jack Kennedy, the president, and Ronald Reagan, the president. And somewhere in there, people on the left I don't know, right? Don't want to hear it. But there is sort of a sweet spot there in American politics, somewhere there between Jack Kennedy and Reagan, where the American people is very happy to be. And this is not left and right. This is not the advocates or the activists. This is where the country tends to settle down. And the closer you can get to that, I think the, the smarter the politics. I think that's what's something that I've been thinking about a lot because I've been through these. You know, when you go through these campaigns and you also see how effective the Republicans are at destroying a candidacy, if you saw what they did to Dukakis, who was a good guy, a clean, clean as a whistle, governor of Massachusetts, in many ways, uh, a very uh, classic sort of Yankee reformist politician, they turned him into a foreigner. They turned him, they just treated him like the strange card king, remember the ACLU and wouldn't salute the flag and. All that terrible, and it turned twenty-five percent of the people around that election went from seventeen points for caucus to eight points against him. And then actually, at one point, not right. was worth it. It's, same thing with Swift voting John Kerry, who went over and got shot at over in Vietnam. They turned him into some kind of problem in his war record. So when you take right. a guy like Bernie Sanders to go into a general election, you can just imagine because they're going to do the same thing. I don't think so effectively with Biden. Maybe do you see how they right. use their money? Because Biden's numbers are forty-nine, forty-two—the latest polling on NBC—and I got to tell you, that's a decent margin. But you watch and
0: see. That's a decent margin.
2: What they're going to do? Because see, Trump is still forty-six percent and holding strong in approval. That number hasn't changed according to Chuck this weekend. Chuck Todd, forty-six percent is sitting there. It's basically enough to basically within striking distance of winning the electoral college. Very close. If you take away California right. and New York and some other states, it's basically electoral college 50, 50. So what happens if a Bernie gets situation goes in that with his record and his foreign policy stuff, he said over the years, they just croak him. But I don't know. I mean, there's nothing, you never know. If the economy stays bad, I mean, Bernie has been very uh, believable. He's very credible. People think he's honest. He's, he says what he believes. But what I was watching was history possibly repl- uh, uh, continue what I'd seen early on in my political career when I was working for the DNC as a volunteer and I was working for a senator down there in Miami I saw that excitement about it and sometimes the excitement on the left is the excitement of beating the center left and sometimes the excitement on the far right is beating the center right and they missed right. the um, the general election and I th- and that's look, what I look
0: what's happened it. now um, you know the, the political the election and everything has been upended by this pandemic obviously And suddenly, you're seeing that Sanders' ideas suddenly seem possibly more relevant. You know, we got this like virtual socialism going on just because of the situation we're in economically and health-wise. And you're seeing the Obama endorsement of Biden uh, tipped its hat very strongly to the progressive ideas that Bernie had brought in.
2: I know, and uh, you know, and and that's my question for you: is well, there's a real difference in this country. There's a fight and it's not going away between the individualist American culture, the cowboy culture, if you will, I want my own house, I want my own car, I want to own a gun if I want to own one, to the more social, which is more like, well, we are in this together. uh And, and obviously the Democratic Party is more of the latter, and the Republican Party, and Trump is with the former. That cultural fight basically is right down the middle in the country. And I, I think that – uh you know, you're seeing with which states like Georgia and Tennessee and Texas want to open up faster, uh, South Carolina, and you have states like California under Newsom and Maryland and Massachusetts and uh, New York, and those states being very concerned with public safety and very concerned with the vulnerable people. That's a real cultural uh, battle, really, and it's, it's American. It's in our gut, that battle. It's not going to go away. And will this tilt to a more social point of view? I don't know. I mean, I read Bernie – I saw Bernie's op-ed the other day, Senator uh, Sanders' op-ed. I know he's making that case. But, you know, some people make the same case all the time, and they just use conditions to make the argument. But this it's always the same case. Senator Sanders right. doesn't trust corporations. He doesn't like them. He's made it clear whether it's fossil fuels or it's uh, health care industry or it's uh, pharmaceuticals. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a democratic socialist, and that's his point of view, and he's going to apply it wherever – conditions apply, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. Look, I don't know what's going to happen on that front. I think Biden's going to, yeah. Biden's careful, he's got to be very careful Biden to, to look strong. I think if Trump wins this election, and I still think that's a bit, a minority point of view, if he does win, it's because of strength, perceived strength as a person, as a leader, tough leadership. Uh, right to make, he, right now I he's, calling, Biden,
0: the, he's but, calling the pandemic an invisible enemy right? And he's refashioning himself as a kind of, or trying to, anyway, as well, a Churchillian well, yeah, leader for well, a crisis, right? I mean, you're a history buff. I mean, what does real leadership look like, and what is it, is Trump well, you, having uh, any success there?
2: Uh, well, well, let's go back to that for a minute. I want to finish on Biden. Biden's danger with regards to Sanders is that you know, when you look like you have bowed to the person you beat, Nixon made this mistake in 60 with uh, Nelson Rockefeller, He cut a deal, and it looked like Nelson Rockefeller wrote the Republican platform in 60 uh, in on civil rights, etc., the other things, and it looked like he was really weak. You have to look like, and Carter and Ted Kennedy in 1980, it looked like Ted Kennedy was writing the, the, uh, the uh, platform. You can't make it look like somebody else is the boss. So... As he finesses his relationship with Bernie and his supporters, he has to be very careful that he's the boss. He has to. Harry Truman did this very effectively when he rejected the Henry Wallace supporters, the progressives in 1948. You have to be the leader. Strength, if Trump wins, it's going to be on the issue of strength. Now, Trump's weaknesses are, and the reason why Cuomo looks so good and Gavin Newsom looks so good, and others like Whitmer of, of Michigan, and they look good because they're dealing with decisiveness up front. They moved quick. They were honest with the facts. They got the facts to the people. They showed empathy. Cuomo talking about his mother, Matilda, has been very effective connecting him with the 2% that are vulnerable. And, and most importantly, the, the decisive. So it's empathy, decision, honesty, and, and, I, and visibility. Now, Trump is very visible. But the others are right. much better on those other issues, and I think that that's where uh, Cuomo's look good, and Newsom's look very good. And by the way, all the three governors I mentioned, including uh, Mike DeWine, a Republican of Ohio, have doubled their job approval since the pandemic. So it's not just that they were popular because they're from Democratic states or moderate Republican areas, but they win because people are being honest with people, and this is really important. And Trump has not done well in that regard. and uh, And I think... In the end, he may open up too soon. He closed down too late. These things are going to hurt him, obviously. But in the end, it's going to be, you know, Joe, October 15th. Is the economy getting better? Does it look like we're out of it? I mean, the American people tend to look for light at the end of the tunnel. And um, what's it going to? Reagan got reelected with morning in America. You know what the unemployment rate was when Reagan got reelected? 7.2. So it wasn't like things were better. It was just they, they felt better and they were getting better. And that's where people want right. to be. I think if I were Trump, I'd want to know that the, the Dow's going up. I'd want to know that people are not getting sick again. It was, there's not a second wave. A second wave could uh, be very, it will be tragic, but also have political consequences.
0: You know, you, you mentioned the word empathy, and I, I was thinking about uh, an article I saw in the Post. It was actually from last year by a professor at University of Texas about FDR's response to what went on uh, you know, after the Great Depression. And it said here that he, um, he made a difference during a time of despair, deprivation, confusion, and shock, and how by offering frightened listeners empathy. And I think about that being a major deficit uh, for Trump and yeah. basically what seems to be Joe Biden's so far— you know, sell at this point, is that he has that Well, let's go through that,
2: just do that cause, uh, because you're under something I care a lot about, and uh, there's a great poll question. There's two great poll questions. One is, are we going in the right direction? That usually tells you, no matter what, no names mentioned, no candidates' names mentioned. When you say, are we going in the right direction? That's a key question for the incumbent, generally. The incumbent, it better be going roughly in the right direction. Number two, does this candidate or president care about people like you, people like you, Right. As I said, I think Mario's son, and he is in many ways Mario's son, Andrew Cuomo, is very good at talking about family terms. He said, it's not the 2% we're going to lose to deaths, to mortality. as my mother. And I right. think that's my mother, Matilda, and he gave her a name. And they have a thing in that family where they call their parents by their first names, but that's their family <laughs> peculiarity. But um, mm, yeah. I think that's what I meant. Eddie Rindell, who was probably the best mayor we've ever had in Philadelphia. If you read Buzz Bissinger's book, it's about um, the scene I never forget is Eddie Rindell sitting in the family room of a hospital, sweating it out at three in the morning, with the family of a police officer who was shot in the line of duty. That gets me that that is what politics really is. It's sitting with a family of somebody serving the public and gets shot and you don't know whether they're gonna make it or not. And that gets, you know, there's so many ways that Amy Klobuchar would talk in the campaign about the guy who said, the working guy who said, who loved FDR. And they said, what did you know? The guy said, no, but he knew me. And I think Amy had it right about the way people want a president. They want somebody who, if they were in your shoes, they'd be on your side. I mean, they're not in your shoes. If they knew you, they'd be on your side. And uh, it goes back to like LaGuardia, the mayor of New York, during a, a, a strike of the newspaper delivery truck driver's. And he read the comics to people on Sunday because he knew it wasn't just the kids who read the comics. Everybody read the comics. And Dick Tracy, you know, I think it was a way of just showing I get it. And I think that's right. something Trump has a problem with. There's no doubt about it. There's no, and that's just who he is. You know, he's worried about right. the, uh, He's worried about his name being on the check. Come on. There's a great line yeah. at the end of the movie, one of my favorite movies, uh, Dave, Dave, of course, about the guy pretending to be president. Kevin Klein. And at the end of he gives a speech, he said, there's certain things you ought to expect from a president. He should care about, I should care more about you than I care about me. And that's a very high standard. Of course, we don't generally don't think our politicians are that good of people to say they care more about us than them. But that is the ideal. That's what you look, that's what you're looking for in a leader. Somebody really gives a damn. And, um, And I think that that's what you're at. And I think Biden will come across on that again, though you got to go back to um, strength. He has to look right. strong you, going up. He has to stand up against him on the floor in that studio. And I hope to hell they don't have a studio audience. I hope the hell we can finally have to go back to debates with just the two candidates, like Nixon and Kennedy, one person against another person, 10 feet apart or whatever, and actually take on each other intellectually, rhetorically, and, and, and soul to soul. And who lo- looks the person you want as your leader? Not a bunch of stupid applause from right. the audience, and I think that'd be a great change.
0: Do you, do you know Joe Biden?
2: Yeah, I know him. Tell me, I'm uh, riding on the yeah. train with him with uh, Bingo. All his family funerals of uh, every St. Patrick's Day when he was vice president. In fact, as recently as a year or two ago, he would have us all at breakfast for uh, say, all the Irish Americans to you know people like you know <laughs> Maureen Dowd, Mike Barnacle, you know the crowd. And they were all, sure. uh, you could have been there, Joe. And, uh, and, um uh, <laughs> and he would have, uh, it was just Irish breakfast with the tea or the prime minister of Ireland would be there or somebody and some Irish political leaders, Terry Bacallus and people, Um uh, but he's sort of like that. He's a, he's a very good schmoozer. He's, uh, everybody on Amtrak who works in the cafeteria car and all that, they all know him by name. He takes pictures with them all. He's, he's a good street corner politician, uh, my tip on Neil was he's, he's good at meeting people of all backgrounds and, and finding something in common with them, human to human. I think that's what he's always been good at. And he represents a state, by the way, that's as small as a congressional district. So he basically could get to know yeah. everybody, a lot of people. So, right. But a large African, but well, it's something people don't know. a large African-American community there in Wilmington. And I think that may explain his, his good chemistry, like Bill Clinton's chemistry. Uh, with people of African-American backgrounds. I mean, it's a generalization, of course, but I think he is very comfortable in that setting, social setting.
0: I think he is. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he's, people say, oh, he's a great retail politician. He likes to get out and mix it up with people. He's great with people. He's got good chemistry. But now we're in a world where that may not be possible, you know, even though he's basically not broken through in the kind of day-to-day Messaging, you know, like you said, Trump kind of has command of the the media right now. He's he sort of been, you know, the invisible man uh, in the last few months, and yet still uh, kind of crushing Trump in in some crucial polls. And but money you know, it can't point. go on like this, right? He's got to tangle with Trump. He's got to energize voters, and you know, he's not connecting to people under thirty, is what we're hearing. We're looking well, at the polls, the and,
2: and I and I and I know that the turnout wasn't what. Senator Sanders thought it was going to be among young people and uh, young people eventually are going to vote. I know what it, they'll happen. Uh, people there's all used to say you had to get married to get, to get really into a regular practice of going to church and all that. And those are the old conventional notions of when people sort of get engaged politically, but, uh, people got to cause some of these, to, you know, where you can vote. It's up to the States when you're allowed to vote, when you vote on campus or not, or they make it difficult in some places, you know, all this, Joe, it's, they can play a lot of yeah. voter repressive games there. And, uh, right. you know, you have to have, go back and vote in your own state. Well, that's a problem for a kid is a, a young 18 year old at college. To just get on a plane and bomb home and vote. I mean, uh, and, and, uh, you know, this whole question about, are we going to be voting by mail is an issue, right. a real issue because we've had some people are very suspicious. Republicans, especially suburbanites are very suspicious of big city political organizations and what they can do. And, uh, in terms of uh, manipulating a, a mail system. Whereas a person who lives in the right. Burbs, so what's the big difference? It's my address, I'm mailing it from my neighborhood. Of course it's me. Of course I'm the one. Whereas it's some ward leader doing it, they go, wait a minute, who actually filled out this form? Uh, but I think we're going to end up with something like mailing. We're going to have to. I really think that's coming. Right. So. yeah, And that's going to be a question for young people, too. Young people have to. Going to a rally is different than going to a voting booth. And I've always thought about why is it that... It's easier to imagine going to an event than to go, and some of it is um, once you get to be a certain teenage year and you reach eighteen, I just wonder whether you begin to not you don't hang around the local community center, you don't hang around some of these places that where older people are quite familiar with uh, you're not a neighborhood type you know you're not you're not. It's an interesting cultural question why it's harder for younger people to vote. I I think we got to get to that and why we can make it easier, how we can make it easier.
0: Well, and in addition to that, Biden has to get them excited, right? And the one place that he's been weak so far that people—David Pluff, the Obama strategist, and I spoke uh, a few weeks ago, and he was saying that Biden needs to break through— on the social media game he needs to get stronger online he can't look like a you know a hostage in the basement he's got to connect right (laughs) and you know you know the power of social media i know um and it's changed the game in in some ways There are constituencies out there this is how they connect this is how they absorb the world you know have you gotten your head around that have you wrapped your head around how that
2: you know i've done the podcast and, uh, you know, I tweeted last week on uh, Easter and the Passover, and I, uh, I, I understand that. the power. Yeah. I, uh, tweeting is something that we did at work all the time. Uh, I had a guy who was a specialist in it, and we were tweeting almost all the time. Um, I think we're going to have to see. I think yeah. politically, it's an organizational tool that's extraordinary. I mean, if you're running for state rep or even U.S. Congress, you can organize your day around I mean, it is one great opening for people with limited money. I mean, if you're a college professor or a student, even, and you go, like, wait a minute, you know, I want to run for state rep. Okay, that's a reasonable size constituency. I'm going to, every day, I go and go I'm going to walk the district. I'm going to meet people. And then every day, I'm going to con- 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 converse on social media. I'm going to tell people who I met, what I learned from them. I'm going to keep everybody working for me, dozens of people working for me. I'm going to keep them up to date to communicate with them. It has. It is an, a door. I thought about this a way you can actually run a campaign without a lot of money by building an organization that replicates the old political machines in big cities where you had war leaders and you had committee men and committee people and precinct captains. And you can really create something relatively free. And uh, I think Bernie's done that. And I think that that organizing uh, platoons of people to get out and people to get the people to what's called polling operations, in the end – so what we were talking about a few minutes ago. In the end, you've got to pull the voters. You can't just keep them involved intellectually or back and forth tweeting. You've got to get them pulled to the voting booth in the electoral states because right. that's how it's done. And, uh, and a lot of traditional politics, by the way, still works. We can't go and say everything is social media now because Trump won. If you listen to David Urban, or Urban, rather, Pennsylvania, he ran the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania. He was our inspector's top guy. And he said it was coming down, it came down to the simple thing of the old Woody Allen thing of showing up. If you can show up in Erie, show up in in, uh, in Lehigh Valley, in Wilkes-Barre, places like that. If you show up and you're there with a crowd and the other candidate does not show up, you can win. And so a lot of the campaigning is going to be a a challenge. If we don't have a second wave, maybe we'll be out there with crowds again by October. But don't underestimate showing up i mean hillary clinton uh, missed the ball i think on that in some cases and uh at least they'll argue that that it had to do with right. media uh, minnesota media that worked its way into wisconsin um it was some pretty smart moves that had nothing to do with trump's personality or politics that were pretty just like obama's techniques were under pluff were brilliant right and, uh, there's always going to be a new. There's always a new frontier, a new frontier of what we're going to say. Well, sometime and you and I are talking this October, November fifteenth, we'll say, well, what was the new thing this election? What we learned was, and it will be, um, right. you know, how can Biden schmooze on social media? Is probably the question you've been asking now. How does he shift? Well, and I, that's the, that's what I'm kind
0: of getting at, and he needs to look. Like, you know, if Hillary Clinton didn't look like she wanted to be there when she was at a rally because she wasn't – this retail polit- politicking wasn't her thing. Well, Biden needs to look like he wants to be there in the social media world. And I, I one observation I'm going to make, and this is going to lead to my next question, is whenever Jill is next to him on camera, he looks like he wants to be there. There's an energy that she brings into it.
2: Well, know, suddenly don't there's another sure
0: person that. in the room.
2: Let me talk about Jill, because I talk about an untapped resource, um political resource. I watched her introduce him down near the Rocky statue in Philadelphia, the Art Museum, when he announced his campaign. It was blazing hot summer. and I'm standing there in the bullpen there, pretty close. She came in. Now, he walks fast. I think that's an older guy's way of showing he's young, walking fast. But she comes in. She's very young. She just seems young. And she comes... Paul Verizon hits that stand that microphone and just wows the crowd. It was all power, 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 strength, right. uh, belief. And she's from Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, right outside Philly, right, right near where I went to high school. And uh, she, uh, I don't know why she's not doing what uh, you know Michelle Obama has been doing the last couple of years. I mean, getting out there. I don't quite get it. Um, she's a regular person yeah. who, who built her own career as an educator. Uh, as a doctorate, I mean, she's very impressive and, and younger than him, and uh, that's a fact, and it is a factor, right. and uh, and strength. I think she shows his strength. I think people do, there's no doubt people do reflect each other's spouses. I mean, there's no doubt that when you meet someone, you meet the other person, you go, know, yeah, well, that tells me something I didn't know. It's always true. Right. The spouse tells you something about the yeah. other person, and, uh, and she tells you the guy's got something, that he's gung-ho, he's yeah. worth being loyal to. He's uh, a worthy hero, if you will. Now, Biden's right. problem, you know, he's been in Boston yeah. since 1972. He was elected on what we call a drop. It was, uh, since they don't have TV in, in Delaware, they had, they had the Philadelphia market. He put out a tabloid, and it was the best uh, The John Martillo did it out of Massachusetts. It was a tabloid that looks like the Daily News. And on the cover of it, on a lot of white space, it said, Joe Biden's making an impact in the U.S. Senate. It hasn't even been elected here. And there's a 29-year-old guy who's losing his hair. He's young. He's a young lawyer, basically, who looked like a sacrificial lamb. He, was not, he ran against a two-term governor, two-term senator, three-time congressman. He wasn't going to beat this guy, Caleb Boggs. But this ad showed him on each page sitting with somebody like Phil Hart or Scoop Jackson or Hubert Humphrey talking the issues in some senatorial background in the Senate building somewhere in the Capitol. And it got to a quarter million people that weekend before the election. Handed out. I'm telling you, he won on that. So talk about the old media. (laughs) He won on newsprint, okay? All right, he didn't win with television. And so here he is in 2020, in a digital age, trying to get into digital. And he can hire the people like Plough. Hopefully he can find people pretty good at it. But you're right. You're into what we're doing right now is different. Uh, it's different than TV. It's more intimate. It's more one-to-one. You watch it when you want to watch. I hear you listen to it when you want to listen to it. Like my daughter's, a, you know, a Stanford business grad, and I got to tell you, I went to Kennedy School and everything and Penn and all that before that. And she's starting her own big business. And she's in the media. She doesn't get newspapers, p- papers at all. She's in the social right. media all day long, and her and her boyfriend, her fiance. This is, a, and my son Thomas is like this. Uh, you know, I'm the guy that gets up in the morning and loves to read the Washington Post in print all the way through. I like to read the New York Times all the way through, I mean, in print. Uh, I think the yeah. advantage of that kind of newspaper reading, by the way, to make a case for the old school, and it is my case, you get to get a lot of peripheral vision when you read the paper like that. You're looking at stuff, what's happening in Pakistan, what's happening in South Africa today? with corona- right. coronavirus. I mean, you're, you're learning stuff. You're not going to go look up one purpose. You're not going to target it, but you're going to learn it. And that's the great thing about the broadsheet. You're digging it up because it's coming into your face, and you're learning things that
0: yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. there's a but lot of, like, myopia in the, uh, in the new media, for sure. Let me ask you something just on that front. Uh, we were talking about, you know, the effect of Jill and why she's not out there, but you know the next uh, sort of shoot a drop here is that Biden's going to pick a VP, and Everything. you know the, I'm Everything. sort of yeah I'm curious as to is is that going to fix some of his problems and and who do you like for that for a VP? What well, do you just remember, you, know, you
2: know? Remember the the, the the doctor's code. What is it? Do no harm. Yeah. Never forget that. VPs. Hmm. Sarah Palin. Spiro Agnum. Dan well, yeah. uh, you got to be really careful, because it can hurt. It can make a statement about you. It's your first, as you said, it's your first big choice. It's your vector. Right. It says where you're going. If you say, so Biden's problem is that he picks someone at the center-left, uh, described by the media as, a, I don't like the way, I think Biden's a liberal, but the New York Times style book now says he's a moderate, and people for Bernie are liberals. I think that's a misstatement, but... Uh, I think Bernie uh, is, is a man of the Democratic left, and he's proud of it, and he says that. And, and Biden is a liberal, and a liberal is always a balancing act between uh, free enterprise or capitalism and, and the government role, the public role, and that's always been a balancing act. And it's trickier; it's, easy, it's harder to be on in the middle there, way. So does he want to pick somebody yeah. like himself, someone that looks like him politically? Amy Klobuchar, safe uh, Minnesota went by Trump by a point and a half. She might be able to bring in Minnesota help in the Midwest. She's definitely Midwestern. She's very top quality. Uh, I think as a candidate, she's been proven, vetted. I think that's in Pennsylvania, no problem. I don't think so. Uh, doesn't look like looks like she could be president if necessary, but not determined to have the office right away, kind of thing. It's very tricky when you have a president who'll be in his 80s. Half his first term, or his only term, perhaps, uh, and to right. pick the other person that's too ready to be president. You want somebody who's willing to be vice president for a while. You know, be vice right. president. Uh, and yeah. uh, not look like it's just the guy's a lame duck and I'm ready to take over. Kamala Harris, You don't think
0: he needs to, um, yeah, you don't think he needs to pick somebody who's going to kind of cover that Bernie constituency
2: well, and kind of assuage that? that uh, is, uh, well, who would that be?
0: Maybe Elizabeth Warren.
2: I don't think I'll pick Warren. Yeah. No, I don't think I'll pick Warren. Um, no. I think Massachusetts is already in the bag and uh Stay, he's going F- to Stacey have Abrams. In... No, I don't think so. I think he's gonna to have to pick somebody he might, because she'll be very comfortable and she would do okay in Pennsylvania, I think too. I'm just thinking of Pennsylvania state you have yeah. to win um, I think she's she's very I think very appealing as a human being I don't know if she has enough status in terms of electoral office um, there's nobody perfect right. I look at Whitmer Whitmer is a new person with all the surprise factor of a new person A governor I think it's very important to have somebody with g- executive ability in this time when the governor's all look really good I think Michigan would be a plus right. I guess I've been giving a lot of thought to Whitmer as a little more aggressive move and uh and, and I'll go back to this. Biden has to look like if it's a horse and rabbit stew, he has to look like the horse, not the rabbit. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yep. He can't look like he's the rabbit in the stew and the left is the horse, or then he looks like he's not his own person. You've got to be strong. And he has to say, right. I believe in, Student, owned, uh, aid, uh, student loan b- b- breaks. The people are certain. I'm going to means test it, though, unlike Bernie. I'm going to means test it 100 and a quarter or whatever, but I'm going to means test it. People have debts so that don't make a, a, a super income, but I'm going to groom it, and I'm going to make it my own. And I do believe we have to give kids, young people in their 20s and 30s, of course, once they graduate, we got to give these young adults the money they need to get started so they're not strapped from the beginning. And I also right. think one
0: more than ever, you no. made a
2: while ago, this new monetary policy has won. There's an argument that's won, because if the federal government can print money in the trillions, basically we're doing this huge printing of money, where we're monetizing the debt, where you're increasing the money supply to account for the more spending by the government. Well, that makes the case of the people on the left who argue we do have a chance for a new monetary policy. We can do it without inflation, but we'll see. We'll see.
0: right? Yeah,
2: there isn't going to be inflation. Who knows? But I think the idea of paying student debt is something that Biden is comfortable with. He still wants to go with lowering the, uh, the, um, the uh, eligibility for Medicare rent in the uh, national health care system. He wants a public option. He's, still, he's just going right. to sell with Brio because these are all moves to the social side of things to the left. And they could be sold as very strong, progressive moves uh, without sounding like he's, uh, he's buckling. You don't want to look like you can't look like you're buckling. Because then Trump will just right. run against him as he's, 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 he's Bernie's errand boy. You know what Trump will do. That's right. And I think this is right. going to matter in the burbs in Philly where they're worried about taxation. And uh, it's going to in the cultural parts of the state where they're much more pro-gun, pro, more individualist and traditional in their values. Um, they, it's always going to be an pro life in many ways. I mean, Bobby Casey, the Democratic Center for Pennsylvania, is pro-life a lot of pro life cultural feelings about uh and they like Biden even though he switched on the you know on the Hyde amendment uh, but Biden has to remain true to who Biden is too and uh i think he's going to have to be more harry more harry truman than nick dick sixon
0: yeah he may be the you know he just the uh auto union uh just uh, came out in endorsed biden he's got a connection well, to the working class and maybe no, he's, there's he's a chance a he can deliver
2: he's, you know that goes back to uh, pennsylvania too if you're a pennsylvania politician who is popular in pennsylvania it's a labor state like san francisco is a labor city and, and places they're just pro-labor they they should be pro-labor and these guys are very aware of what their core rating is you know what they de- what rating they're getting from uh from the afl cio voting record and uh and they want to. They want 100. And so he will know things like uh, the labor law issues, site is picketing, all these different things, and card check. I bet you Biden knows all that stuff cold. You know, I mean, right. Jerry Jerry Brown out in California knows is, 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 is that stuff cold. You uh, right. there's such a thing as a labor guy or labor Democrat who doesn't come across as left, but is very pro labor. Joe uh, Bob Casey I mentioned Pennsylvania, totally pro labor. You know. Right. Because i my, my point was that they are. Uh,
0: he can, you know, some of these uh, uh, positions that might have seemed ultra liberal at one time, maybe he's the messenger for those given his connection to the working class. I mean, it's a little bit about talking about student debt and talking about health care as working class issues. And he's got the sort well, of bona fides let me tell you, to. Let
2: me, tell you, let me tell you how the difference I look at it. It explains my attitude, I think, towards Senator Sanders. I think if you talk politics from a kitchen table point of view, like what people need and you talk about what people really need in life, the the democratic party is not, it's not like the British labor party. It's not anti-rich people. It's mainly about economic and social security and and keeping their families together. I'm talking about Pennsylvania. I'm talking Scranton. I'm talking Erie. I'm talking people. They want social security because they earned it. They worked from the times they're 15 paying in this payroll taxes they want Medicare because they earned it. They worked for 50 years so that if they survive, the male especially survives, you might get 15 years of health coverage that he earned. Same with Medicaid because people who have long-term care problems and families are all vulnerable to Alzheimer's and dementia. They need it for long-term care, and they want that. What else do they want? They want their young children, who, read, as they go into middle age, they want them to be able to work close enough they can come home once in a while by car. They don't want them heading off into Silicon Valley or New York or somewhere. They want them to live near enough home that they come home once in a while. That is about it. Now you get you enlarge the social, uh, stretch out the social uh, uh, safety net, and the, something like the public option. I think Biden's very comfortable with that. It's a public option to compete with private insurance. Outlawing a private insurance seems a little dictatorial. Outlawing it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound. Like, we don't outlaw anything right. really. We don't even outlaw. A private health insurance. What kind of a country is that? Where you can't even choose to buy a, a policy if you can afford it. But the public option right. seems to be a, a movement. But you know, you got to keep the balance between individual freedom and social uh, the social safety net. And that's how this country has worked for all these years: a combination of a market based economy with a pretty good growing social system that supports. That's what they basically have in the northern countries in Europe too. A little more than that. They right. don't have a big military to, for, for support like we do, an entitlement bill every year we have to pay, or a, and this is going to grow, a debt we have to service. That's something nobody's talked about. All this money the government's borrowing, okay. Yeah. They can monetize it. They can print the money. But in the end, they've got to pay it back at market rates. People that buy T-bonds right. and paper are going to get their interest. This is a fact. I don't know how that's going to, but it just means a bigger chunk of the federal uh, budget is going to three things, entitlements, paying off the debt, and the military. And the public gets none of, none of that. And they go, wait a minute, when are we getting all that? And that makes it harder for liberal right. or left politicians to argue for more government because people say, I'm not getting anything out of this. So that's going to be a challenge down the road, this debt. It is because it already has been.
0: Right. So, you know, the, um, let's talk about Trump for a minute.
2: Anyway, I think, so, I think the kitchen table the, approach, the social and economic uh, security, is always going to sell better yeah. with me than the ideological approach. If you start with me with the ideological, I'm a socialist, I want to believe in government doing stuff. I trust the government to do all this stuff. I, I don't want a lot of individual freedom out there to make these decisions. I want the government to make the decisions. No choice about health care. No, that's not going to sell with me. I want a free society that has a good social right. safety net. And I think you can have both together if you're not ideological about it.
0: Right. And in that way, you, are you comfortable with Joe Biden as the vessel for that message?
2: He's got to prove himself. The campaign is ahead for him. And I think, to go yeah. back to where we started, if you look at the numbers, Trump's 46% job approval, uh, disapproval 51 mm. <clears throat> You get through the electoral college, that's about a wash. So right. Biden has to beat Trump. <laughs> okay, he's gotta that's, beat him. That's the, the bottom to line. Longer in the debates, he's gotta have a better social media thing. As you've been talking about a basic national television ad campaign, he's gotta get out there and rally people and get people to the rallies, center left and left, and someone the center right. He's gotta get some center right votes. He has to. He has to get them. And uh, yeah. the, the uh, unhappy Republicans who vote for people like Larry Hogan and uh, Troy Baker and people like that and Mike DeWine, he's got to get some of those votes. He's going to yeah, lose if he doesn't for sure. And uh, but uh, but he's got He needs. I don't know if he has that. I don't know if he has the campaign. I know you're getting at this, and I don't think it's ideological. I think it's, does he have a campaign on the level of a level, of, say Obama or, or Bill Clinton?
0: The winners, right? Does he have yeah, a well, you captain? want him to be, you want to um, have his uh, identity in this race be distinct. I, I think of Trump, you know, recently comparing himself to Captain Bly in Mutiny on the Bounty, right? He's casting the governors as these mutineers and, you know, kind of a bizarre comparison since uh, Captain Bly was kind yeah, well, of a we villain. To but say on you know, the
2: show, when, when, when we had a yeah. troubled guest, it was just a real problem that didn't deliver or something. We'd say, he's in the yeah. boat. You don't want to be in the boat. <laughs> I mean, that was where Captain Fly right. was put, in that boat. He was on the ship, then he was put in the boat, from the bounty to the boat. Yeah, right. But he did survive Was Men Against the Sea. He did make it back to London, but you don't want to be in that boat.
0: <laughs> so throw me some, um, some, you know, what kind of film protagonist do we want Joe Biden to be? What does he need to be? Put him in a movie, you know? Well, we're, we're, point was, to a movie. Kevin
2: Klein was pretty, Klein was pretty, Klein was pretty good in... Um, and Dave, um, as the pony president, yeah. uh, the, the imitator. Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, when uh, Joseph Alsop wrote this thing, I've always remembered about FDR. He said, "You know, in the days after Pearl Harbor, when I was in Hong Kong, and the Japanese were bombing us, and I was in the mainland part of China, right on a, right across that little Cholona, where it's called." And I was over there, and I was lying on the floor of my apartment, and the bombs were dropping. The Japanese were bombing. I knew that Roosevelt would win the, win the war. Mm. You know, Joe? That kind yeah. of personal confidence in the leader. The, the leader will get us through. This guy will get us through. For a while in the primary, I thought all that he knew when it was a designated driver, just somebody to get us home safely. Right. But now I think people want a little better than the designated driver. They want to have someone who can command the helm and make the big decisions in the interest of the country and the general welfare, looking out for the vulnerable, but also being concerned about keeping our economy from dying, not going into a stall that we can't get out of. It's going to take a leader, you know, and we've got to see if Biden's up to it. Yeah, I know that Trump is up to a certain kind of leader—a more, 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 willful, more ruthless, even a willingness, willing to take a leader, willing to take casualties. It's going to be one heck of a choice. You know,
0: I was reading uh, some passages from your first book. Of course, it was called Hardball. It was 1988, yeah. right? Right. You tell stories of Johnson, Nixon, Kennedy, your time with Tip O'Neill, and it's sort of like inside the game, the Machiavellian sport of politics, which became your calling card for you know the last many years on cable news. And now here we are years later. The warp and woof of history has taken us into all kinds of unimaginable places, but we've got Trump, right? He's like the political id, in, in some ways the ultimate hardballer. And he blew up the game. You know, the last three years, it's been his world that we've all been living in. And, uh, yeah, you know, Biden if you says... Definition,
2: if you read my definition of hardball, it's clean, aggressive, Machiavellian politics. It's clean and it's aggressive, but it's clean. It starts with that word. And... Uh, clean. I think clean. And, and I think Trump breaks some rules. that I, I, Some people think the end justifies the means. And I know people like that. They just say, oh, if we do this, we'll get what we want. And... um when you, when you start with basic making fun of people's faces, making fun of people's looks, make, making fun of people's handicaps, uh, trashing human beings, and I think that if we say we're happy with a leader like that, we've got a problem. And uh, yeah. anyway, those basic moral behavior questions about Trump, I mean, they're not going away. And, uh, and the way he talks to reporters uh, with complete uh, disdain and, and actual hostility and the word fake media should not be laughed at. It should not be accepted uh, because the, he said that to uh, Leslie Stahl years ago. Why do you say fake media? He says, because then when I'm wrong, basically, I can get away with it. They won't believe the people, the reporters. And one thing I do, it's not about opinion or cable or interpretive or an analysis. Was Analysis is what I think I'm good at. It's... Uh, it's the straight report that goes out and covers uh, the news and comes back. And I used to sit on the buses with those people, the Times, the Journal, and those people like that in the Post. And I marvel at their ability to put together a 1500 piece with a big, with a lead and then with a big uh, jump, all factual, all checked out back with the desks with their editors. And it was, we in this country have that, that kind of media, which we know is trying to get it right. And I, and I think that, that we should never, devalue that the people are really trying to get it straight i work with these people i know them. people on nbc news the news division they really try to get it straight you know you know and uh this is something we got to treasure and i'm maybe masked by speech but uh my daughter-in-law's on the reporters committee working on this full-time that's what she does to protect the rights of reporters my daughter-in-law and uh you know we got to believe in it joe
0: yeah well, that's, you know, Biden's message uh, at the outset of his campaign was, you know, Trump uh, has to be an outlier, or that's the end, right? He's, he's painting a pretty dark portrait of what happens if Trump is reelected. And my question for you originally was, you know, to have the rules of the game changed? I mean, can we put the genie back in the bottle and have people, you know, trust factual information ever again? I mean, that's that's the sort of terrifying thing. Um, lack of ground we find under our feet in this moment.
2: I agree with that. I agree with that. And uh, Well, uh, let me tell you, Trump has may have met his match with, uh, with Dr. Tony Fauci, Anthony Fauci, uh, who I've known forever. He right. goes to my church. He went to my college. He's always been Tony Fauci. He's the stalwart. He stands up. He delivers the truth. Uh, Trump better not mess with him. And I tell you, because in the end, that guy standing next to Trump is all he's got, because then it is complete political talk if, without him standing there ironically he needs them and um right you know we've had people in our government over the years who've run nasa who, who run programs that really matter fema and they're not political t- no fema's not a good example <laughs> nasa's a good example of people that d- just do the work and get the job done and can be responsible right. for incredible uh, enterprises and um I got to be, believe that that deep state matters, and I'm for it. I think they, that is what Trump's afraid of, and that's why he keeps attacking it. But the experts are going to get us through this thing. And uh, it is going to come down to testing. It's going to tend to a vaccine at some point. And uh, Trump's not going to invent the vaccine. He's not going to come up with adequate testing. He's throwing that to the states. Um, I, I am impressed, though, that public service seems to look pretty good right now with the governors. And public service at the level of New York state and Albany and Sacramento and Columbus, uh, you know, and Lansing, it looks like people are actually coming to the fore and rising to the occasion. I think it's so true about these governors when they're running at 80 and 90% job approval. And uh, part of that's because they got the real responsibility. Their states, they don't just set speed limits. They determine what our education systems are, what our marriage laws are, I mean, what our drug laws are, alcohol, just everything in our life is so much controlled by the public safety responsibilities of a governor. And we're learning that in our federal system. And uh, thank God we've got people at the state uh, governorships, like Wolf of Pennsylvania, all these people, have all seemed to have risen to the occasion. And and I think that's a a pretty good indicator of what normal will look like when we get back to it. One of these governors may be the next president.
0: That's right. And I also notice on the media side, uh, Chris, that, you know, the highest rated uh, news show on TV right now is a network news program. You know, you're getting people going rushing back to what people thought was a dead (laughs) institution, which is the evening news. I think that, you know, people are looking for some sort of security in their information because now it's a life or death thing. Right. You you can't trust
2: all yeah, the I kind know. of I like. Think always, I think the ideal of the objective, the truly objective, is, always has to be. Reached. I mean, Cronkite was a liberal. He would have told you that. People knew he was a liberal, but people, people believed he had the facts. They knew his point right. of view. Uh, you know, and when he said the Vietnam War wasn't working, we weren't going to win. It was going to be a draw at best. People believed him, not because he had a lot of opinions before that, but because he withheld his opinions before that. Yeah. As somebody said, you only get one card at that. You get one card at expressing your opinion. The rest of the time, you better be yeah. fact driven. Although I got to tell you, in all the years I did hardball, and uh, one thing we we were we were, we were heat seeking. I don't doubt it, I would never deny that we didn't look for excitement and cover the biggest story that was hottest that night. We always went for that. I always said dessert first. This is where we're going. Go with the story people are talking <laughs> about right now at seven o'clock. Don't go to another story. Don't say eat your. Uh, you know, eat your vegetables now, we'll get to the meat. No, let's get to the meat right now. And I think that, that yeah. we, we we're always fact-driven. I always say to the producer, who told you that? Where did you get that from? Where did that come from? I want to know it before I get on the air. And don't tell me something while I'm on the air, because then we haven't had time to check it. So I think fact-driven is very important for any medium, even opinion opinion opinion, opinion, uh, opinion uh, journalist. Right. Needs facts.
0: Right. And the,
2: the best columnists right. today are the ones who have facts in their comms, news reporting. That's true.
0: Right. They make some calls.
2: Make some calls. Chris, okay.
0: uh, you're, you've been home for the last 51 days like the rest of us, uh, so I assume. Can. You know, stay and put. Um, how, are you, how are you biding your time off air? I mean, has, has, has it well, been, I've been tough? A, I've,
2: had this, I've got a big book, Joe, due, uh, with Simon & Schuster, due uh, next February. I had about half of it done about 70,000 words. These words are going to have to be pruned down, but uh, 70,000 words in by the beginning of the year. I'm going to, I'm almost well towards, I'm going to finish by the end of this month, I hope, what I call the third book of the four books I'm writing. They're all part of one memoir. And I'm up to 1970 seven up to 80 through the Carter administration, where I was a speech writer for the president. I'm writing about that period now. So I had the first quarter of the book was all about being raised Catholic in the fifties, which was something being an older boy, including at an insane asylum, a mental institution, and I mean all this stuff I did as a kid, and then to all a huge twenty twenty five thousand words on just Africa for two years working and teaching in Africa and then working my way home through Africa and then working on a hill Capitol police u s Senate legislative aid um, uh uh sent a budget with with Muskie, running for Congress in the Democratic primary in Philly, be running a presidential speech right with Carter, going through all that with him, then becoming top aide to Tip O'Neill for six years. Uh I hope to get all that done by the end of May or early June. And then I started the journalism I like, started in eighty seven with the San Francisco Examiner and then all through the covering of the Berlin Wall coming down and his first elections in South Africa. The Irish Peace Talks in Northern Ireland, The Good Friday, all that stuff going into hardball. And um, so there's a lot of it in there, a lot of work. And every day I get up and I worry, what can I do now to speed the plow and keep this moving? I got another book that's being made into a a limited series, but I'll talk about that some other time. Uh, uh, So Uh, I'm writing. I'm writing. I'm running. I walk every day about three miles.
0: And you're you're, uh, in Maryland, is that right?
2: I'm about two blocks from D.C. I can look down the road and see D.C., but it's a nice neighborhood. I love it up there. No, I've enjoyed this. So, so listen, time with my family. I'm and glad, and I've, I've,
0: uh, yeah, I've appreciated, you know, all your insights and and your your candid um, approach. I, you know, I always have. And one thing I got to say is, you, I looked. Uh, you have almost a million followers on Twitter, yeah. and uh, you've tweeted once since you left MSNBC. And, uh, that was on Easter. It got 21,000 likes. That's not bad. Uh, are you going to tweet more? Why not use this platform?
2: Well, let me think about it. I wanted to respect what happened to me and, uh, respect the report of what I said, complimenting the woman at the time. And, uh, I want to, I didn't want to make it seem like I didn't, I did take it seriously and I, uh, acted on it and I, uh, I wanted to show uh, a little respectful time here, but I want to get back into writing and, and probably get whatever opportunities come along to get on TV and talk about politics. Cause I get up every morning and I still, I'm still absorbed in it and uh, mentally, and I might as well make use of it. And uh, I've gotten a lot of wonderful letters from people. I'm sure some don't agree, but the number of hundreds of people have written these wonderful letters and uh, Young people who I've been mentoring—I didn't even know I was mentoring—but young men and women have written me the most not, so affectionate, nice letters about what I did, talking about how to be, be on television, what it was like as a journalist, I have to report in quick bites and sharp bottom lining of things, and uh, I'm, I've been very happy with that, with the reaction, obviously. But people, yeah. people say they miss me. I mean, I miss them too. I mean, yeah. C. L. B. Well.
0: Well listen Chris Matthews, thank you so much for uh taking the time today um I know a lot of people are gonna be interested to hear what what you think because uh you know you haven't uh, been out there saying it and I think they're gonna they're gonna want hear it and it's interesting so,
2: okay, and so I appreciate I'll say all the closer, uh, historical context as, Joe I'm gonna say it's a Biden and a close match uh but uh, uh, highly unpredictable, but it, probably Biden, I'd be more surprised by a Trump victory than a Biden victory. Uh, I think it, it, it looks like Klobuchar could be uh, the one for the geography and uh, the, the person uh, and, uh, and for Pennsylvania and, and the Midwestern states, I think she makes the most sense. I think Biden has to absorb to his heart. Some of these progressive uh, programs to his heart. They have to, he has to bring them in, not just say it. And they can't just be on the platform. They have to be him. And yet he has to be the boss. He's the candidate. I think Senator Sanders knows that he's respected that he's respected as the candidate. And I think he's done a very good job, a very generous, he's played a very generous role in helping Biden get this thing won.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, well, that is—so uh, there you hear it. That's the prediction. Chris and Matthew, we're going to see, uh, you know, in this projection, we have uh, Biden uh, and Amy Klobuchar, you know, and Biden stepping up to be the field general. So we'll That's see fair. if that happens.
2: <laughs> yeah. We'll see if it happens. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Take yeah. Care. Take care, man. And that was our show for the week. I'd like to thank Chris Matthews for coming on the program and, of course, thank my fabulous co-host, Emily Jane Fox. You can follow us both on Twitter, Emily Jane Fox and Joe Hagan Says. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave a review. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13, especially Bob Tabador, our executive producer for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And we'll see you next week.